If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we come to a new come to a new section in our study, found in verses 4 through 12, which is all about the identity and purpose we find as believers together in Christ Jesus. And while studying this passage, I was struck once again just by the eternal relevance of God's Word. Peter penned this epistle that we're about to look at today nearly 2,000 years ago. And yet by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he carefully identifies for us two timeless and relevant needs of the human heart, namely the need for identity and the need for purpose. We're having a bit of a crisis in both of these departments in America lately, if you haven't noticed. The average American has lost nearly all sense of identity and purpose. From what does it mean to be an American, to what does it mean to be a man or a woman, to even what does it mean to be myself, to be a human. Who am I and why am I here? Identity and purpose. These questions are being cried out all around us and all that comes echoing back to them from our culture is silence or even worse, demonic deceptions. Who are you? I don't know. But just be true to yourself, whatever that means. And why are you here? I don't know. Just do what feels good anyway. There's no ultimate meaning in life. These are the answers that our culture gives. There's no objective truth or reality that you can secure your identity to. And there's no ultimate purpose to which you can have an ultimate purpose for you to dedicate your life to. Dust in the wind, as was saying one time. All we are is just dust being blown about by the wind. No identity, no purpose, nothing but silence, emptiness, and insecurity. Having turned our back on God and His Word, our nation is filled with souls and almost entirely with a brand new generation crying out, Who am I and why am I here? And our culture is utterly insufficient to answer those questions. But as we'll see in this morning's passage, Jesus is utterly sufficient. And this is the promise of the Gospel, that if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you will find your life. In Him you will find your true identity. In Him you will find your ultimate purpose. In Him you will find true security and fulfillment. But outside of Christ, you never ever will. And that's exactly the way that God intended it. You cannot live a life fulfilled apart from the living God. Only He who fills all in all can give you a life of fulfillment, of identity, and of purpose. And when you come to Jesus, He does. He fills you with a new, all-consuming identity. He fills you with a new, all-consuming purpose. And He does so by connecting us to something bigger than ourselves. He connects us to the body of Christ. When we are born again by God's mercy and power, Jesus gives us a brand new identity. We become a member of His body, a part of His people. And in that new identity as His people, we find our purpose. And that is what 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-12 through is all about. 
It's all about showing us over and over and over again our purpose as a people. We don't walk this pilgrim's pathway alone, praise God. As elect exiles, we are to live throughout the time of our exile here on earth for the glory of God together. As John Bunyan showed in his famous work, The Pilgrim's Progress, Christian needed faithful, and then Christian needed hopeful, and we need each other. We discover and we experience our grand identity and purpose not separately, apart, but together as a people. And Peter's going to show us this from three unique perspectives in this passage. First, in verses 4-5, through Peter will show us the purpose of our joint progression in Christ. If you recall, last week we considered how all those who are born again will grow by means of the Word of God. Well, here in verses 4-5, through Peter tells us the purpose for that growth. He explains why it happens, who it happens with, and what that spiritual growth is intended to produce. So that's verses 4-5, through the purpose of our joint progression in Christ. And then after expounding on the centrality of Jesus Christ in verses 6-8, through Peter is going to show us in verses 9-10 through the purpose of our joint possession by Christ. See, we already learned back in chapter 1, verse 19, that all of us as believers have been bought by the precious blood of Christ. We all belong to Him now. And now that we are Christ's, we have a divine purpose to our lives, a reason for living. We'll see that in verses 9 through 10, the purpose of our joint possession by Christ. And then finally, in verses 11 through 12, we'll see the purpose of our joint pilgrimage with Christ. So even though we've been born again, and belong to Him, God has chosen so far to keep all of us here on earth for a while longer to go on a journey together. And on that journey, you and I are going to have to walk through some hardships and trials of various kinds, but it's all for a reason. See, when we belong to Jesus, even our worst days here on earth are building up to something full of purpose and meaning. And we'll see that revealed in verses 11 through 12. And really from there on out to the rest of most of the book, the purpose of our joint pilgrimage with Christ. So I say again, when we are in Christ, we're filled to the brim with identity and purpose. There is a purpose to our joint progression in Christ. There is a purpose to our joint possession by Christ. And there is a purpose to our joint pilgrimage with Christ. We have a purpose as a people. For this morning, we just have time to look at that first point in verses 4-5, through which is the purpose of our joint progression in Christ. So with that in mind, let's read 1 Peter Chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. Peter writes these words to us. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As you come to Him... A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is the Word of God, whom we rise before dawn 
to cry out to for help, and in whose words we find our hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Father, we thank You for how it has been given to us by You as the greatest of gifts. Father, we pray that this morning, even as we saw in Your call to worship, that You would revive our souls this morning. That You would make us wise though we are simple. Though You would rejoice our hearts. That You would open our eyes. That You would cleanse our souls. That You would lead us on right and true paths for Your name's sake. We pray that You would do this by Your Spirit, through Your Word. Give us understanding, Father, we pray this morning. That we might understand the things that You have given us here. We might live lives that please You in this world for the glory of Christ. Teach us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in helping us know how to navigate this world as a people of elect exiles for the glory of God, Peter begins by showing us the purpose of our joint progression in Christ. That is in verses 4-5. through Peter has already mentioned back in verse 2 that we as believers grow by the pure spiritual milk of the Word. And now Peter gives us the purpose for that growth, the joint purpose for that spiritual progression. And to prepare us for that, Peter reminds us first of our joint identity in Christ. So he mentions first our joint identity, and then he mentions our joint purpose in that identity. So first, let's consider this morning our joint identity. That's in verses 4 through the beginning of verse 5, where Peter says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. This is the first identity, the first joint identity God gives us as believers here in this passage. God states that when we come to faith in Christ Jesus and are born again by the seed of God's word, we are, verse 5, like living stones that are being built up together into a spiritual house. That is the central statement of Peter's sentence here. You are being built up. That's a statement of fact. You are being built up. To be a Christian is to be growing. To be united to the life of Christ means to be manifesting the life of Christ. As Colossians 2.19 says, As we hold fast to Christ by faith, we grow with a growth that is from God. If you are born again by the Spirit of God, then you will begin to grow by the Spirit of God. You will experience an ongoing transformation towards greater and greater Christ-likeness. If you're saved by God's power, you will also grow by God's power. This is what it means to be born again. And not just individually, by the way, but jointly as well. That's Peter's argument here in verses 4-5 through that steps beyond the previous argument he gave in verse 2. Peter's making the point that that supernatural growth that all believers, all believers, all believers experience is not just an individual solitary growth experienced just by ourselves. It is an organic unifying growth that we experience alongside and with and into other believers. That is what Peter says. 
Verse 5, he says, You yourselves are being built up how? Like living stones, plural, into a spiritual house, singular. This is a unifying growth. It is a joint progression that every person who is born again and kept by God's power experiences. Someone, let me put it this way, if I can be as blunt as possible, someone who has come in contact with Jesus Christ and has been born again experiences a growth not further and further away from the Christian community, but closer and closer to the Christian community. It is a growth closer to the people of God. As Ephesians 4.15 teaches, as we grow up into Him who is the head, into Christ, we grow together into greater love and service to those who are in His body. What I just described to you is not exceptional Christianity. This is essential Christianity. Christianity 101. This is the type of supernatural, spiritual growth that every genuine believer experiences. It is an organic, unifying growth into the recognized body of Christ. And Peter says that this type of unifying growth where you're drawn closer and closer to the people of God and the body of Christ happens when, as he says in the beginning of verse 4, as you come to Him. As you come to Him. Or more literally, as you are coming to Him. Who's the Him? Well, verse 3 makes it clear it is the Lord. It's Jesus Christ Himself. And notice the equivalence that's made here between verse 2 and verse 4. In verse 2, we were told, if you recall, to long for the pure spiritual milk. Well, that idea is equated in verse 4 with the action of coming to Him, of coming to Christ. And this is very important. See, with that one phrase, we are reminded of the goal that lies behind all of our spiritual disciplines. We don't read the Bible because it is an end in and of itself. We read the Bible because it is a means to a greater end. And that end is God Himself. It is the Lord that we have tasted of in salvation and have seen is so, so good. See, our goal is God. Our goal is God, it is to know Him, it is to love Him, it is to draw near to Him yet more and more. And the Word is the means to that end. It is, if you will, the crevice in Mount Sinai through which we behold the glory of the Lord. That is why we are drawn to it. Because it shows us and it draws us near to God. Remember that as you attempt to put into practice what we studied last week. I should long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word, not so that I can fill my brain with knowledge, but so that I can draw near to the Lord that I have tasted is so good. Do not forget the goal in your spiritual disciplines, believer. As you open up the Scriptures this week, pray the prayer of Moses from Exodus 33.18, Lord, please show me your glory. Because our goal is always and ever to draw near to Him. But Peter's basic point here is that the closer we come to Christ, the closer we come to one another. Now that statement is intensely countercultural even among Christians, so it's crucial that you understand this. When it comes to Christ and when it comes to the church, you cannot separate, please hear me on this, you cannot separate devotion from one to devotion to the other. If you are growing in your commitment to Christ, 
then you will be growing in your commitment to His people. And if you are growing in love with Jesus, then you will be growing in your love for His bride, the church. It is part and parcel of basic gospel growth. The more you understand the devoted love, messy forgiveness, and committed care that God has shown to you, the more you will be drawn to showing that same devoted love, messy forgiveness, and committed care to others in the body of Christ as well. As you come to him, he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So I say again, those who are truly born again do not experience a growth further and further away from the Christian community. They experience a growth that draws them closer and closer to it. That is why I say this whole movement of people in America today who identify themselves as Christians yet insist on having absolutely nothing to do with the local church is absolute hypocrisy when examined next to the truth of God's Word. Now I, and I need to put a qualifier on this, I personally, I personally understand about being hurt by the actions or traditions of an unfaithful, unbiblical church and having to work through emotions from that. But nevertheless, God's word still stands. And if you are truly born again by the Spirit of God, and if you are truly growing in Christ-likeness towards the Son of God, it doesn't matter what you experience in your life, you will be irresistibly drawn towards devoting yourself to finding and becoming a part of a biblically sound and faithful gathering of the people of God, even as you are irresistibly drawn towards Christ Himself. You will be drawn to worshiping God with others who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good I do not buy the lie. If you love Christ, you love those whom Christ loves. That is exactly what 1 John teaches. How can you love God and yet, whom you've never seen and yet not love your brother who you can see? This is part and parcel of being born again. And look at how satisfyingly good our Lord is described here by Peter. Jesus is described here in verse 4 as a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus here is called a living stone. In other words, he is a steadfast source of living life in the midst of our earthly exile. And in the illustration of a living stone that immediately came to my mind was that of the life-giving stone mentioned in Exodus 17, verse 6. If you remember then, the Israelites were lost and they were dying of thirst in a wilderness called sin. And so in Exodus 17, verse 6, it tells us that the Lord God stood upon a rock and commanded Moses to strike the rock upon which the Lord God stood. And when Moses struck the rock upon which the Lord God stood, it broke open and water poured out of it and all that drank of that life-giving water lived. Listen, that is a perfect illustration of Jesus, the living stone. In fact, it is so good of an illustration that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4 that the rock that Israel drank from was Christ. I mean, it is a perfect picture of Jesus. He is the one who at the commandment of God was struck by men to bring life to all those who are lost and dying in the wilderness of sin. That is Jesus. He is our source of life, the living stone. As Peter himself testified of Jesus in John 6, 68, 
when Jesus asked them, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to build your life on something else, some other teacher, some other teaching? Our author Peter replies, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal what? Life. Jesus is the living stone. He is the one who continually gives spiritual life and strength to all those who come to him in faith. As John 20, 31 says, this has been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. Christ is our life. He is the living stone. And even though he is rejected of men, in the sight of God, he's chosen and precious. And it's true, people all around the world either flatly deny Jesus as a fraud or a farce, or even worse, they give him a false deference while undermining the truth that Jesus lived or, and died to proclaim. But either way, it doesn't matter what man's opinions of Jesus are, because in the sight of God, he is chosen and precious. His beloved Son, in whom he is well pleased. And while men might reject Christ on earth, he is deemed most excellent and exalted, of matchless worth and glory in heaven. As Revelation 5, 11-12 records, Then I looked and I heard around the, thor- the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. This is Jesus, not the one ridiculed on nighttime television shows. This is Jesus. He is the living stone. He is chosen and precious. And notice, as we keep coming to Jesus and as we keep drawing near to Him through the Word and prayer and godly fellowship, Peter says two things will happen to you. First, you'll be transformed. And second, you will be united. First, you'll be transformed. And second, you'll be reunited. So first, you'll be transformed. Peter says this, as you come to Him, right, Him who is a living stone, you yourselves are being built up like what? Living stones also. Isn't that interesting? Right? As we come to Jesus, what it's teaching is we become like Him. We become partakers of His divine nature, as 2 Peter 1 verse 4 says. We become, as Romans 8.29 says, transformed into His image to such a degree that Paul could say over in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. It's hard to tell the difference now. And so by virtue of our union with Jesus, we become partakers in Christ's divine spiritual life and become living stones in the living stone's image. We become filled to the brim and we, become, and we start pouring out His very own spiritual life. As Jesus promised in John seven thirty seven through 38 if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures say, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. His life flowing out of us. And that's the point Peter is going to make later on in this letter. Strike a Christian. You strike a Christian and what will you see? The life of Christ flowing out of me. Why is that? Because we're being transformed in the image of Christ into living stones just like Him. So as you draw near to Christ, you're going to be transformed. You will not stay the same. Second, you'll be united. You'll be united. 
And I already introduced this. As you come to him, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. That's glorious. As we draw near in submissive love to Jesus, the shared life of Christ within us and among us will begin to meld us into a spiritual house. As Ephesians 2, 20-22 teaches, you yourselves are growing into a holy temple in the Lord. You're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that is what Grace Chapel is a picture of, ladies and gentlemen. This This Grace Chapel is, I'm sorry, I mean no disrespect in this, but this Grace Chapel is not a picture of wonderful people and their dedicated service over years and years and years. And I mean that in no disrespect. Grace Chapel is a picture of the life of Christ, which by His grace, He sets loose in the life of His people. All glory goes to Jesus. He is the one that builds His church. It's not about us. Though each of us, according to 1 Corinthians 6.19, are individually little temples of the Holy Spirit. Corporately, as we're drawn together in Christ, we become a superstructure. That's what Peter's saying. We become a holy temple, a spiritual house that manifestly reveals the presence and power and passions of one occupant. And it's not your opinions or desires. It's God's. That's what happens. We become a manifestation of one supreme tenant, the Spirit of the living God. As 2 Corinthians 6.16 says, We are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's us. That's this church. When we are drawing near to Christ together, we are being built up as a spiritual house. That is why... I say over and over again, let's be in the word of grace. Let's be before the throne of grace. Let's be the fellowship of grace because as we draw near to Christ together, we are being built up into a spiritual house. And by the way, that's in the passive voice, which I kind of stole the glory from earlier, right? It's in the passive voice in the Greek, meaning that the church grows not by our power, but by the Spirit's. As Charles Spurgeon wrote, hearkening back to our scripture reading that we read this morning, you might have thought it was strange that I had it to read in 1 Kings until you read this quote. Charles Spurgeon said this, It is the Spirit of God who quarries out of the pit of sin the stones that are of yet dead, separating us from the mass to which we adhered. The Spirit gives us life. And then he fashions, squares, and polishes us, and we without sound of axe or hammer are brought each one to our appointed place and built up together into Christ Jesus. We are being built up as a spiritual house by God himself as he draws us to himself and fills us with his very own life. So that's our joint identity. We are living stones being built up by God into a spiritual house. That's beautiful. That's our joint identity. (laughs) But why? Why? We've seen our joint identity. Let's consider our joint purpose. Why is God doing this work among us? Why is he wanting us to become a spiritual house? End of verse 5. What's the purpose behind our joint progression in Christ? Look at the end of verse 5. Peter says that we are being built up by God into a spiritual house in order. He says this, to be a holy priesthood. 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So follow Peter's imagery here. Not only are we the temple, but we are to be priests that are functioning and serving in that temple that God is building by His Spirit. So all of us as believers have a work to do. And I need to say this very basic. We have a work to do, do we not? We have good works prepared for us since before the foundation of the world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We've got it, right? We've got things that God wants us to do. Guess where God primarily is calling us to do it? In extra church organizations and politics? No! In the church! You want to give God glory in this world? Give your life to the church! You want to be radical? You want to be countercultural? You want to do great things for Jesus? Give yourself to Christ's bride. We, he's building us up into a holy, into a, into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is our primary sphere of ministry. Not only are we our temple, we are to be the priests functioning and serving in the temple. All of us as believers are to work together, he says first, as a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. As ministers set aside for the worship of God. That is an immense privilege. To read words like that, to someone like me, someone like you, if you don't sense the immense privilege of that phrase, you need to study the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, to try to enter the priesthood without being ordained directly by God for it was downright suicidal. Second Chronicles chapter 26, verses 16-21, through 21, you had King Uzziah. He stormed into the temple thinking he could engage in priestly duties. God struck him instantly with leprosy and dead skin. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 8-15, through 15, King Saul got bored and lazy and... and uh, and impatient, and he tried to engage in priestly duties, and God instantly cursed him and tore the entire kingdom away from him in an instant. And going all the way back to Numbers chapter 16, Korah and his 250 conspirators tried to enter the priestly service, and God instantly had the ground swallow them up where they stood. That is why I say to try to act like a priest of God without being ordained to that office is downright suicidal. But here, Peter tells us, that in Christ Jesus, and in the righteousness by which we are clothed in Him, all of us who have been born again through faith in Christ Jesus have been ordained into a holy priesthood, separated unto God. Why? So we can stare around at ourselves and say, why what nice white garment you're wearing today? Hallelujah. Nope. It is to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Oh, to be apart from Christ means that it doesn't matter what work you do. It is but filthy garments in God's sight. 
That is what the Old Testament prophets said. All your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It doesn't matter what you do, how much you clothe yourself up in holy vestments, how much holy water you sprinkle around on yourself and on all the sanctuaries. It is going to be detestable in the sight of God until you come to Christ Jesus and all of a sudden you have the door swung wide open to offer up to God spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God in Christ Jesus. Acceptable. See, this is our joint purpose, and it's our privilege as believers to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, since there's no need to offer up physical sacrifices anymore because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf, you have to ask yourself, what do those spiritual sacrifices look like? Okay, we're supposed to be priests. Okay, well, we're supposed to offer up sacrifices. What does that look like? What does that look like? What are we supposed to offer up? I would articulate or summarize it in this way. It looks like praise and sacrificial service. It looks like praise and sacrificial service. That's what our lives, as those who have been born again and ordained into our holy priesthood, ought to look like. Our lives ought to look like praise and sacrificial service. We are to be packed full of praise. Hebrews 13.15 says, Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of what? Praise to God. And our lives are to be packed full of sacrificial service as well. What does Romans 12 verse 1 say? I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. That it is. See, this is our joint purpose as believers, to offer up ourselves to God in praise and sacrificial service. And oh, don't miss this wonderful promise that when we do so, those spiritual sacrifices, as I said before, are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Think about that. It's of great encouragement to me. Great encouragement. That means every prayer that we have ever prayed, every praise we've ever sang, every act of service and obedience we've ever done, if it was done in our hearts to the honor of Christ, and to glorify God, it didn't matter how ugly it looked like on the outside. Or how successful it was in the world's standard. When we offered it up to God for His honor and His glory, in Christ Jesus, that act of service was perfect. It was loving. It was delightful in the eyes of God. And that's why in Christ Jesus, praise and service is not just our purpose as God's people, it's our privilege. It is our privilege. As priests made holy in Christ Jesus, we get to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to Him. Therefore, let's do it. Because listen very carefully, believers, the only reason why the church exists is to stimulate this priestly service. To stir one another up into love and good works. And so if your involvement and interaction here is limited to simply coming and sitting and then leaving, I would encourage you to talk to me or one of the elders after the service today on how to get better connected to our church family and ministries because, listen, if you don't know your worth, I can show it to you from Scripture if you've trusted in Christ. If you've been born again, you've been made a living stone in the household of God and you've been ordained into His priestly service for a purpose to join us in offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. I would encourage you to find your life in Christ in this way, believer. This is our purpose of our joint progression in Christ. As we come to Him, 
a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. We ourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In light of this, I have a simple question. Is this your identity? Is this your purpose? First, is this your identity? Can you say this morning, without a doubt, that you are one of these living stones talked about? That you've been born again and that you're being transformed by a vital, saving union with Jesus Christ, the living stone. Is His life Is His divine life in you and is it pouring out of you? Are you increasingly showing the life, love, and longings of Jesus Christ Himself in your life? Or would those around you not know the difference between you and an unbeliever? Is your life spiritually dead? Can you say today without a doubt that you are one of these living stones that are being knit together closer and closer with other believers into a spiritual house for God? Would you say that your life is marked by a movement further and further away from the people of God or closer and closer to the people of God? Are you one of God's living stones being built up into a spiritual house? Is this your identity? Second question. Is this your purpose? I know many of you would doubtless say this morning, yes, that is my identity. I'm one of those living stones and I am being increasingly transformed and united to the body of Christ. Well, then I ask you, what's your purpose? What's your purpose? If this indeed is your identity, then what is your purpose in the body of Christ? It is this. It is to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Are you living a life of praise and sacrificial service among the people of God the household of God. A great privilege has been given to you, believer. Do not neglect it. As a holy priesthood, engage in spiritual service to God with the rest of the body of Christ. Like a living stone being built up into a holy priesthood, join us in offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So is this your identity? Is this your purpose? If you would say this morning that your identity and purpose does not line up with what Peter describes here, then I would admonish you today to come to Jesus, to come and taste that the Lord is good. Just like salvation, this passage that we just studied began and it ends with Jesus Christ coming to Him and then offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Him. From the very beginning of salvation to the very end, our whole life is defined by the need to come to Jesus and live. To come to Jesus, the living stone, the source of every true identity, true purpose, and true blessing. If we are to be living stones, if you and I are to be a spiritual house, if we are to be a holy priesthood, and if we are to continue to offer up our lives as a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God, then it all begins and it all continues with this. Come. Come to Jesus and live. For to know Him is to love Him. And to love Him is to serve Him. And this is the purpose of our joint progression in Christ. And this is the word of God from 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 5, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience 
in the fervent care of one another until Jesus, our living stone, returns. Let's pray. Father, we have but one request. Help us this week to be in the Word, to behold the Word of Jesus. And by beholding Him, we might know Him and love Him and serve Him together. For that is why You have kept us here on this earth. Father, help us to have a joint identity and a joint purpose and a joint testimony here in this world for the glory of Jesus Christ. May those who do not know Jesus step into this place and recognize that Jesus is the living stone who is building up a spiritual house of worship towards you. May our lives contribute to that greater testimony, we pray, this week. In Jesus' name, amen.